I negotiated a really good deal where I had maybe eight to nine months of rent-free. Good. It's going to give me a lot of time to build up. Well, then those rent checks started coming due. The payroll, after I hired three or four people, started coming due. The expenses, the investment. I mean, I had to make five figures a month just to break even. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. My name is Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Investment Research, and I will be your worst podcast host today. And I'm here with featured guest, Paul M. Newberger. Paul, are you ready to rock? I am ready to rock, Andrew. Let's do it. Let me introduce you to the audience. Paul is also known as the cold call coach, which I personally love that name. And he believes in making the impossible possible. A masterful speaker and trainer, he challenges people to dig deeper and discover talents they never knew they had. Whether it's working hands-on with small teams or presenting in front of hundreds of people, Paul is adept at truly connecting with his audience and getting to the heart of important issues. He has worked with leading organizations around the world to help improve effectiveness, performance, and cultivate a stronger sense of passion in the workplace. And ladies and gentlemen, you're gonna feel his passion in just a moment. He has taught thousands of students in more than 100 countries through his Cold Call University program, helping sales professionals in a range of industries close more business in less time than ever before. Paul. Take a minute and fill in further tidbits about your life. Yeah, well, I appreciate the opportunity to be on your program, Andrew. It really means a lot and looking forward to this conversation. So I hail out of Wisconsin. I've uh, been in Wisconsin my entire life. I'm right now in the Milwaukee, Wisconsin area. And just to say that my life has had a lot of twists and turns would be the understatement of all understatements. Uh, thought I knew the direction that my life was going to take, but it just shows that God has a unique sense of humor from time to time. Uh, started off as a financial advisor. Now I find myself owning four companies. I'm the president of a fifth. I'm an international keynote speaker, have a small family. You might be listening to that and have a little panic attack with all the stuff that I have on my plate right now. But I tell you, as you said in the intro, I just, I love being busy. I love being challenged. I love punching the status quo in the mouth and to uh, share my passion on so many things with you today. It's a real honor and a treat. I got a question for you. I mean, with all the things that you do and also, you know, having watched some of your videos and the things that you talk about, you know, you talk about making the extra effort. Like for instance, when you make a LinkedIn connection, I saw, you know, what you, you know, advised about that. And, you know, it's hard already for most people, but to have different businesses, a family and push yourself to say, I'm going to take it the next step. How do you manage that in your life? Well, that's the number one question I get asked. And if I had a dollar for every time I got asked that question, I wouldn't need to be on your program here today, my friend. But I'll tell you, I think one of the, one of the best pieces of advice that I've ever received, I know we're here to talk about my worst investment, but I think one of the best pieces of advice I've ever received is to really go deep with what you love and outsource the rest. And as my businesses grew, as my Again, I, I still look at myself as a very humble, modest person, okay? But as my businesses grew, as my opportunities grew, as my name recognition grew, I got pulled in a lot of different directions. And when you run a business, when you're the head of a company, there's a lot of different things that you're responsible for. And I think the old Paul Newberger, what he used to do is he would just 
put all of that on his plate. Okay, today I'm going to do my public speaking. I'm going to do some training. I'm going to do some content development on social media. And then I'm going to do books and cut checks and manage all the day-to-day -day admin stuff. Well, the thing is, I hate managing day-to-day -day admin stuff. I don't like cutting the checks. What, what I'm the best at is stuff like this. I mean, it's been a long time already. I know we're in different time zones. I was a little tired. I sat down here. I'm like, oh man, I got to talk to Stotts now. But but just talking to you, I get fired up. I get excited. This is what I was born to do. I love doing this. So I made the, the conscious decision then when it came to my businesses, I'm going to do what I love to do. I love public speaking. I love doing the training. I love doing the selling. So it's a non-negotiable that I need to do all of that. If it doesn't fall into one of those three buckets, I outsource it. Now, I, I still have managerial control. I still have oversight. Nothing happens without my knowledge. But I surround myself with really, really smart people. I believe if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong darn room. So I went out of my way to hire people with unique skill sets and talents that I don't possess. I've gone very, very deep with what I'm passionate on. I've outsourced everything else. And it's amazing. I'm busier than I've ever been, but I'm happier than I've ever mm. been. That's great advice for the audience, you know, go deep into what you love and outsource the rest. I challenge you, everybody in the audience, what is it that you love? Get focused on that. Make it so you hardly have time to do anything else but what you love and find good people that can help you. Because I know, I know that some people look at what you just said and they forget the second part. They go deep in what they love and they forget the rest or they neglect the rest. So I think it's a really great point is that you outsource the rest and you oversee what's happening. There's no outsourcing that goes on without supervision. In fact, I'll just- it, it, I was gonna say it real quick, it, because and then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. That's what I found about it. Because like being on your program here, when I sat down before you fired up and, and started talking to me, I'm just thinking, oh man, I got this to do and this to do. But as soon as the light came on, I'm rejuvenated, I'm excited, I'm, I'm, I'm passionate about it. Other people see that passion. And if you're a business owner, if you're a CEO, if you're an executive and you're burnt out all the time, you look disheveled all the time, you look like you haven't slept in three days all the time, that's going to have a negative, vicious cycle with respect to your business. Mm -hmm. But if if you're passionate, if you're excited, if you've got that it factor, if you've got that fire in the belly, other people see that and that's just going to lead to more opportunities. I don't want to do anything that doesn't make me crazy passionate. If somebody else is crazy passionate about Excel spreadsheets, do that. Somebody else is crazy passionate about balancing ledgers, do that. I'm going to keep doing what I love. It rejuvenates me and because it rejuvenates me, it inspires others and my businesses are just growing because of that. Fantastic. And for the audience out there, when you, when you think about, you know, you hate, for instance, doing a spreadsheet, there's someone out there that absolutely loves it. Give them a chance to do it and get benefit from what they have. All right. Well, now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one ever goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. Sure. So my worst investment ever had to do when I was a financial advisor of all professions. I guess it's interesting when you're a financial advisor making the worst investment decision of your life. But I'll tell you, I didn't aspire to be a financial advisor. I was a 30-year-old vice president of a major university in the state of Wisconsin. And in case you haven't already seen this, Andrew, I'm an extroverted guy. I like being the center of attention. I love building relationships with people. So I was a natural fundraiser. It just came extremely easy for me. 
And by the age of 30, I was the chief fundraiser for Marion University in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. And I thought, well, if I can do this by 30, I bet you I could be a college president by 35. That became my goal. I'm fiercely competitive, not with other people. I'm never going to compete against you. I'm always competing against myself, always pushing, always driving, always trying to be the best version that I can. And over the ensuing six months, eight months, when I made that decision of what I was going to do with my life, for a guy like me that sets the bar so high, I was ahead of schedule. I was ahead of pace. I, I couldn't have been in a better position professionally when, as these things typically happen, it was November 2nd of 2012. It just so happened to be his 60th birthday of all days. My father-in-law got up early that morning like he usually did, sat down on the couch, bent over to put his socks on, and he never came back up. He suffered a, a fatal heart attack that morning. And for any of your listeners here that can empathize with that, relate with that, losing someone you love so much, so unexpectedly does something to you emotionally. You just start replaying those last moments. His name was Steve. Did, hmm. did Steve know how much I loved him? Did Steve know how much I cared for him? Why didn't I hug him one more time as opposed to just doing a fist bump or something stupid because I was a guy's guy with this really tough exterior? And the emotional trauma was bad enough, but what made it worse was the financial trauma that ensued. Basically, my mother-in-law's financial life is way harder than it has to be because the proper things weren't in place, because they never answered the what-if questions in life. And outside of being ambitious, outside of being competitive, outside of punching the status quo in the mouth, the other thing you're going to find out about me, Andrew, too, is I hold myself personally accountable for everything bad that happens in my life. I don't know if you to this. I don't even know if that's even a shred of normal for high achievers. But if you were having a bad day before we hopped onto this podcast, it's not your fault. It's my fault. Why, why didn't I check in? Pep talk. So two weeks after my father-in-law died, knowing that my mother-in-law's financial situation could have been a little bit better, I just kept blaming myself. Why didn't I ask the right questions? Why didn't I stick my nose in their business? Why didn't I say, hey, mom, hey, dad, have you ever thought about what happens here? Well, why didn't I ever do that with my in-laws? Never having a good answer. I left the college fundraising scene. I left the path I was on to be a college president and I became a certified financial advisor with Thriving Financial because I didn't want that ever to happen again to anybody on my watch. It was never going to happen, which leads me to my story about the worst investment I ever made. That was one of the best decisions I ever made, but shortly thereafter, I made one of the worst investments I ever made. See, now the thing about me, Andrew, I don't know where you stand on this. I don't know where your listeners stand. I'm an unapologetic Christian. I'm not going to get on my soapbox, but it's, it's who I am, okay? And, and I just believe that God blesses everybody with a unique set of talents and abilities. I'm not arrogant because I humble myself before him every morning, but I'm one of the most self-assured human beings you're ever going to meet. If you tell me that human beings cannot fly, I'm going to flap my arms so flipping high, I'm going to levitate over the ground. I'm going to figure out a way to do it. Well, when I became a financial advisor, I started witnessing some success early. That was the worst thing that could have happened to me. <laughs> this is easy. I got this. This ain't no big deal. I was passionate. I had a very good why. I've always been a good salesperson, articulate, good communicator, whatever you want to call it. And when I saw how quickly I was growing, when I saw what the future could be, I decided, you know what? I really better take this up a notch. I want to look a little bit more prestigious. I want to land the bigger clients, so I want to give them more to see. I want to set this appearance of success. Plus, at the rate I'm growing, I'm going to need to hire a bunch of people. I saw this building located in Grafton, Wisconsin, which was about 30 minutes away 
My office was no bigger than a bathroom. I mean, it was embarrassing how small my office was in my office in Germantown. I mean, the toilet's right here and my desk is right here. But I said, you know what? No, I'm, I'm really going to take this up a notch. I found this building in Grafton, huge. I mean, what, 7,000 square feet, massive. I signed a 30-year lease. Yeah, no problem. You know, I'm really going to grow into this. It's going to be great. I negotiated a really good deal where I had maybe eight to nine months of rent-free. Good. It's going to give me a lot of time to build up. Well, then those rent checks started coming due. The payroll, after I hired three or four people, started coming due. The expenses, the investment. I mean, I had to make five figures a month just to break even because I invested so much. I invested in the building. I invested in personnel. I invested in the technology. I invested in the marketing. I invested in the name recognition. I invested in luxury suites at the Bradley Center at the time in Milwaukee because I figured, you know, if I have $4,000 luxury suites, really put out the rents as it were, I'm going to get the big fish. I mean, I was really hemorrhaging cash. And all the money that I was making, all the success that I was having, I was still falling behind, still falling behind, still falling behind. And thankfully, towards the end, because of my knack for cold calling, that presented a unique business opportunity, that presented a unique off-ramp, that presented a unique get-out-of-jail-free card, a fresh start, which I took. But that was the word. I mean, I, I, I grew before there was a need. I had immense self-confidence borderlining on arrogance. It hurt my business. It hurt my health. It hurt my marriage. It hurt my self-esteem, believe it or not. It even hurt my faith to a certain degree. And it took me a while to rebuild that. So you go from one of the best decisions I ever made to the worst investment that I ever made. But I will say this, Andrew, before I turn it over back to you, as much as I hate that pain, the sleepless nights, the constant knot in your stomach, the inability to pay bills, borrowing money from family, feeling like a failure, feeling like you can't provide, feeling like you're worthless. As much as I hate that, and, and I, I get a tingly feeling just talking about it, it's like, I don't want to go back there. I just believe in life. Nothing happens to you. Everything happens for you. And when I go back and I think, what was one of the best things that ever happened for me in life? It was that very moment, and I wouldn't change that for anything. You know, Paul, this is the value of the show. We get that tingly feeling when we go back and think about what we did. And through that tingly feeling of, ah, this is, you know, painful. We help others to, you know, get themselves so they don't have to go through it. I just wanted to ask one follow-up question, you know, like at what point did you say, okay, something's got to change my plan was great. I was really excited, but I've overspent. I'm sitting in this situation. Something's got to change. And what was that change, you know, that, that happened? Probably when I bounced my second straight payroll check. I mean, again, I didn't cut checks. It was all electric deposit, but I mean, I had three admins and I also had a college intern. I mean, Goldman Sachs probably didn't even have the level of personnel that I had. But again, it, it was one of those things call it the field of dreams theory. If you build it, they will come. And I knew all oh, I just have to write more business. I'll take care of this. If I have these people, it's going to make it easier for me to generate revenue. Plus it was important for me back then, not nearly as much now status. I wanted people to walk into my office. Holy cow. This guy's got a lot of good things going on. Holy cow. This guy's a somebody that meant so much to me back then. Mm. The first time payroll was due and I didn't pay my people. I explained, off. Ah, it just must be an error. No big deal. I'll take care of it. Thankfully, I closed a piece of business. I was able to settle on that. Two weeks later, it happened again. Rumors started going around. 
that's what made me realize I had to take some action, calling my landlord, who I had that 30 year lease from, and gosh, on five or six different occasions, asking for an extension, got embarrassing, got painful. He started asking questions. And after a couple of missed payrolls, after going back to my landlord and saying, can you please give me an extension? I just realized I'm in over my head. Something's got to give. Nothing else on a line of credit, nothing else in the bank account, no credit cards that I can use. Something's got to give. And again, I believe when one door closes, a window opens and that cold call coach was my lifeline at the time. I jumped on it. The rest is history, as you saw in the introduction. But I would say that is what really made me I got to do something about this. I'm not, this isn't working very well right now, needless to say. So let's summarize the lessons that you learned from this experience. Well, for starters, it's good to have self-confidence, but you also need an awareness of self. And I let my self-confidence cloud my awareness of self. I was good, but I wasn't that good. I was solid, but I wasn't that solid. I was smart, but I wasn't that smart. Had I slow played it, had I built as the money came in, had I built things around me as I had more resources to spend, I would have lasted longer. I would have probably been much more successful than I was now. But having that awareness of self is crucial. Number two, and this really ties in very nicely to what we opened with about, Paul, how do you do it? I am obsessed now with surrounding myself with smart people because I flew solo during that time with Thriving. Do you know how many people Andrew said I should do what I did with the office in Grafton? Do you know how many people Andrew said I should hire all of those staffers? The answer was zero. I ignored everybody. My boss at the time, my regional manager said it. My wife said it. My parents said it. Other Thriving reps said it. I didn't listen. And they were right. I was wrong. So now I obsessively surround myself with smart people. I think probably the third thing that I've learned in that as well is the importance of having some kind of a strategic plan. Like it doesn't just have to be a business plan per se that you put on the shelf and you dust off once every couple of years. But my answer was always the same. Paul, how are you going to pay for this? You're a year into this. I mean, you're off to a great, I was the rookie of the year for our regional financial office. I led the geographic area in life insurance sales because of my father-in-law. I was so passionate about it. I led the area in life insurance sales almost three years in a row. I was off to a fantastic start. But people would, would ask me, Paul, how are you going to pay for this? You know what my answer was, Andrew? I'll just sell more. I'll just sell more. That is a stupid strategy, okay? Because there's so many things beyond your control. There's only so many hours in the day. There's only so much market share you can have. There's only so much, only so much need for your products and services. You can't just sell your way out of a problem. You need to be strategic. You need to figure out what's the end game. You need to figure out how step A is going to go to step B, going to go to step C. So now, part of the reason that I'm, when I say this with all due humility, because I, I was humbled mightily by what happened at Thrivent, and, and me talking about myself in a favorable light brings back those, those pangs again. But I'll tell you, what, part of the reason I'm so successful now, I got a long way to go, but all four of my businesses are thriving. I'm an international keynote speaker. I mean, things are going very well for me right now, is Unlike Thriving, where I'm going to sell my way out of this. I'm just going to work harder. I'm just going to write more policies. Now I'm like a pool player. And a, a nine-ball pool player isn't playing the ball that they're shooting next. They're thinking three or four shots ahead. The best nine-ballers think three or four shots ahead. That's what I'm doing right now. How do I get to where I want to go in three months? What do I have to do to get there? What does that look like? What does success look like? What does the end game look like? How am I going to know that I arrived? What, what are the 
warning signs about where I'm trying to go? What are the risks about what I'm trying to do? I never used to think that way. Now I do, and my businesses are way better for it. Well, I mean, that's some really great learning. And, you know, there's a lot of people out there that want to set up their own business and they're getting themselves in their own business in many different types of business. And I'll, maybe I'll share a couple of things that I take away from your story. The first one is that, you know, it's first thing is that costs are the only thing we can truly control today. And so when you find yourself either setting up a business or in trouble in a business, the one thing you can do quickly right now is cut costs. Sales will come, you got your new product, you got your service, whatever. Let's hope you're gonna get sales on that. But cost is the one thing that you can control. So that brings me to the next point about cost, which is don't burden yourself with unnecessary costs. In fact, take pride in the fact that you've got your cost down to a minimum. Therefore, you're profitable from day one. The second main point that I take away from it is an interesting one that I want to think about from a management perspective. You know, you're a top sales guy. You've got the the knack of what it takes. You're willing to get out there and do it. But what we learn here is that sometimes just putting pressure on salespeople by putting immense pressure on them, doesn't necessarily mean that they're gonna be able to you know, sell 10 times more. And there's a lot of bad managers out there in this world that they think that their job is to sit back and put some kind of makeup KPIs on top of people and not think about the stresses that they're under and say, well, whoever survives is the one that's gonna make it. You know, Not to say that we don't need pressure, but undue pressure didn't cause you to make a miracle happen. And the other last one is just this idea of don't be a one hit wonder. When you mentioned about nine ball and playing pool or billiards, basically don't think about that next shot. Think about the next three to five shots. And therefore you won't be a one hit wonder. Any thoughts on those? I think you summarized it very, very well. And it's, it's tough as a guy to go through that because again, you think, well, you know, Never let them see you cry. Never let them see you sweat. I'll tell you, and I'm very open about this, so I don't mind sharing this. But when I was in college, I struggled immensely with anxiety, immensely. And Andrew, you're a successful guy, so I'm sure you've to this to some degree. But being a high achiever can be a death sentence. I mean, it's good in the sense that you're never satisfied. You're always pushing. You're always trying to be the best possible version of yourself. And I think there's a lot of good to that. This world was built by high achievers. Businesses are built by high achievers. We send people to the moon thanks to high achievers. I'm not saying high achievers are better, but you need those. But man, that is also a curse. It's a curse because I'm never satisfied. It's a curse because I'll travel across the world. I'll give a really good keynote. I got a thousand people in the audience. They're cheering and people taking pictures with you. It's like, what are you taking pictures with me for? I'm a nobody. Come on, that's kind of crazy. But you're on this high. Literally 10 minutes later, I go to the hotel room, the high's gone. Now I'm thinking about what do I have to do next? And I just want to tell people that your body is like a pressure cooker to some degree. That pressure has to go somewhere. That stress has to go somewhere. That anxiety has to go somewhere. Some people can handle it better, but you still have to have a valve for that. And when I was in college, I kept it all bottled in. And because I did that, and because I never lived up to my expectations, I cracked. I cracked. My parents basically forced me to come home 
from college so they could keep their eyes on me. I don't remember saying this. My mom swears it's, I believe, my mom's not going to lie to me. But I was having a bad day. I talked to my mom, and at the end of the call, I said, don't worry, I'm not going to kill myself. And that's when she knew that I was probably thinking about doing that, so she pulled me home, and I stayed home for a couple of weeks. I've gotten a lot better with the pressure, but as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, there's only so much you can do. You need healthy outlets, and I think one of the most healthy outlets I have is I've got one person in my life. His name is Gary. I wouldn't trade Gary for anything. He just so happens to be my chief operating officer of my companies. But Gary and I have connected at a friendship level. We've connected at a spiritual level. And it's so nice, once a day if I need it, every other day, just to be vulnerable, just to say, this is what I'm thinking. This is where my world is off kilter. Gary, crying from time to time. I mean, again, that, that's a part of the emotion. It's okay to let that out. I would just say everybody needs that one person, be it your spouse, be it a business partner, be it an associate, be it an old college buddy, somebody you can have drinks with. You need to have somebody to talk to, to vent with, to seek advice from personal or professional. I didn't have that at Thriving. I kept it all bottled up. I figured I got this, I'll figure this out. I ignored advice. Everything you said makes sense, but I would add that that was been, probably been one of the best transformations I made. And I wouldn't trade Gary for anything and neither should any of your listeners that have that one person as well. That's fantastic. Yeah, and I have my one person, his name's Dale and Dale runs our coffee business and Dale and I have been friends for 35 years. And so everything, that I have that you know, I'm struggling with, Dale and I talk about, so great. Now, based on what you learned from this story and what you continue to learn, what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? Yeah, I mean, it, it, does, it does kind of go back to what we had discussed at the onset, where you, you go very, very deep with the things that you're very, very passionate about. So one, I mean, you should, your listeners here should identify what their passions are. A lot of us know what we like. A lot of us know what we're good at. A lot of us know some of the strengths and skill sets we have, but really take time to think about it, meditate on it, pray on it, talk to others about it. And, and just what are those two or three things? And when you start identifying what those two or three things are, how can you go really deep in that? How can you build careers on that? How can you monetize that? How can you add that to what you're already doing or just basically make that a central pillar and focal point and start divesting yourself of, of the rest. I mean, you start doing that, you're going to be happier. You're going to be more efficient. You're going to be more effective. There's so many different components to running a business that if you leave the other people in charge of the things that they're already good at, that the things that they already really like, rather than your business being really good at three and being sucky at 15, now your business is going to be great in 15 different things. So getting really good about that. But then I, I guess the other thing is too, is just really having that plan. Again, I'll sell more, I'll find more people, I'll bring more people under the tent. That doesn't cut it. And as, as good as passion is, as good as energy is, as good as excitement is, as good as ambition is, you still gotta have a concrete plan. And with respect to the cold call coach, it was last thing, it was almost just the opposite of thriving. I got good at thriving and then what did I do? I forced a square peg in a round hole. I'm gonna get this big building and then the business will come. I'm gonna add all the staff and then the business will come. I'm gonna invest all of this marketing and the business will come. I was pretty much trying to force the issue, create the demand, create the need, and that's a terrible way of doing it. 
With the cold call coach, part of the reason that I went full-time there is as I was growing Thriving, I grew it almost single-handedly via cold calling. People would ask me, Paul, my goodness, you make 15 calls, you schedule 15 appointments. You're like a bona fide circus freak. The bearded lady, Andrew, never got crazier looks than I would get when they saw how successful I was. So people started to say, hey, can I pay you to train my team? Can I pay you to write a script? Can I pay you to talk to inspire my guys? Can I pay, heck, can I pay to sit in your office and listen to you call your prospects so I can see the magic? That was demand finding me. So then I started to receive that demand. I started to grow based on that demand. I started to make decisions based on that demand. Next thing I know, I go full-time for the cold call coach. Now I'm in 127 countries around the globe. I've got students in all 50 states. We've got thousands upon thousands of students through cold call university, all because I let that demand come to me and I didn't artificially create it. It's healthy, it makes more sense, and your ability to be a long-lasting business with staying power is gonna be a direct result of that. You know, one thing I really thought a lot about as you were talking is for all the people out there who want to be an entrepreneur or set up their own business, it's important to remember that sales is a function within business, just as finance and accounting are functions, just as marketing is a function. You can't run a business just because you're really good at finance or because you're really good at sales. Running a business means you've got to cover all bases. All right, last question. What's your number one goal for the next 12 months? My number one goal in the next 12 months is to, on Amazon, crack the top 1,000 books offered on that platform. You may know this, but I became an author in early June. It's my first ever book. It's called The Secrets to Cold Call Success. I've been told that I should write a book for years. Never got around to it. Just always had something better to do, apparently. Very blessed and proud to say that we made the number one bestseller list in seven different categories. Now, I'm learning a lot throughout this process, but there's about 8.5 million books on Amazon. I think right now our book is about 106,000, which I'm like, 106,000, that's terrible. It's actually quite good when you consider 8.6 million. I want to crack the top 1,000, and I share all my secrets in the book. The national cold call success rate in this country is 5.5%. My clients are at 36.4%. That's not a rounding error. I, I would never make that up if that wasn't true. 36.4, voicemail response rate on average in this country is about 0.7%. My clients are at 21.3%. Significant difference. All my secrets are in the book. I want this book in the next 12 months to be in every organization. It is a the Bible of all sales teams. I think it's that good. And if we can crack the top 1,000 in the next 12 months, I would be thrilled, Andrew. Well, let's all help you do that. Ladies and gentlemen, the links to the book, the links to his website are all going to be in the show notes so you can check it out and buy it and get the passion that he's got. Well, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. To find more stories like this, previous episodes and resources to help you reduce your risk, visit myworstinvestmentever.com. As we end, Paul, I want to thank you for coming on the show, and I want to congratulate you for being one of the brave ones. I say brave because when I ask most people to come on the show, you know what they say? No, Andrew, I'd prefer to talk about my winners. So you have now turned your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for our audience? No, but I believe you are exactly right. You need failure. Without failure, we'd never grow. Why would we ever get better if we never failed? 
Why would we ever fix ourselves if we never failed? Why would we try to grow professionally if we never failed? The last thing that I'll say is one of the things people are afraid of failure because of fear. They're, they're afraid of it. They're afraid to go outside of their comfort zone. They're afraid to take that step. Fear is always going to be there. It's just you have a choice. You have a choice when it comes to fear. You can use fear as a barrier to your success where you'll go just as close to that barrier. You'll touch the barrier and then you'll recoil. You'll go just as far to the edge of your fear and then you'll backtrack. Or you can, and I had to learn this, okay? This was not easy, but it was a learned trait. Now, fear, rather than serving as a barrier, fear serves as fuel. I don't do it unless it scares me. I don't do it unless it forces me out of my comfort zone. I don't do it unless it pushes everything that I know about myself to be the best possible version. And if you can channel that fear into fuel, there is no stopping you and the sky is literally the limit. That's just beautiful. My last guest, Mike Searock, he says, use past defeats as rocket fuel for your future. So same type of thing, use the fear. And in fact, that's the irony of this whole podcast. It ultimately is the failures that drive us to become who we are. And ladies and gentlemen, this is why you should be listening to Paul and learning from Paul because He's been through his worst investment. He understands it. He's willing to go to that place. And that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect our wealth. Fellow risk takers, this is Andrew Stotts, your worst podcast host, saying I'll see you on the upside.